The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Chris Lehman and Drew Blevins. Welcome back to The Howler. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Lehman here. Drew Blevins not able to join us for this segment of this week's Howler, but I am joined today by the head coach of the UNC club hockey team, Jeff Volkman. And Coach, it's great to have you on. Certainly will be interesting to get a different perspective on ACCHL hockey here today. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me. All right, now you just finished up your second year with the Tar Heels as the head coach, so we'll start by talking about how you got involved in, in working with Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, it was actually, uh, you know, I, I moved down from Minnesota. A job took me down here, me and my wife, and, uh, you know, it was, it was quite a change. And I just started reaching out to some of the local teams, uh, and I uh, reached out to UNC, and, and uh, they responded within a couple hours of, of my email, and they just had been going through a transition where they <clears throat> their their coach stepped down and uh so they were obviously looking for another coach and wanted to get together for an interview and and that went fairly well and and uh they offered me the position from there and so I just kind of fell into it you know it was very circumstantial and and I uh, feel very fortunate to have landed there but <clears throat> I joke with Mike Gazzillo because he was the second guy I was I was going <laughs> to reach out to we just had uh uh we we just met for a, a lunch here a while back and we we had a good chuckle over that so. <laughs> all right well you did get off to a great start your first year you in the ACCHL postseason tournament uh, can you talk a little bit about that it seemed like your team really did very very well in, in tournaments that year in particular yeah I, you know I walked into a situation with a great group of guys you know um, unlike this year uh, you know positions were pretty much set I had, I had a number one goalie I had a definitive you know top line top you know six forwards and uh you know the team was really gelled at that point and they were looking to change the culture at that point and it was getting a, a lot more serious if you will and uh you know I came in so it was very easy from that point of view um but yeah in terms of of this year and last year you know the the, the team was was in place you know ready to go so so my job was just you know at that point just coaching and coming in and, and training the guys and showing them my vision and and my systems and they're they're all on board very coachable we had a we had a tremendous team, and, and uh, unfortunately, we graduated nine of those guys, uh, you know, last year. So obviously, this this year was definitely a rebuilding year for me. Oh yeah, and that brings us to the second question I have for you. You lose some big pieces like Matt Geltley, also your top goalie, mm -hmm. and Jackson as well. So talk a little bit about the pieces that you lost. You talked about you lost nine mm -hmm. players from that team, and and how this team this year differed from that one. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, anytime you lose a guy like Gallatly, uh, just to point him out, is a tremendous loss. I mean, the guy had, you know, over 200 points in his career. Uh, he, he could have played at a, at a much higher level if he, if he wanted to. Um, but it, w it was really the leadership um, that uh, brought the team together. Uh, we had John Jackson, Mike Ariema, who's kind of a silent giant in the, in the mix. And, and, you know, you bring transfer guys in like uh, A.J. Hamill and Brendan Radakovich, who just, you know, stepped up and, and filled in, in those roles um, right away. So it, it really, it all came together. The way I coach is a, is a process. Um, you know, we don't... You know, the goal is at the end of the year is, is to win the ACC championship. Um, you know, it, 
developing the kids throughout the year is is it's definitely a process i'm I'm not too concerned about wins and losses in the first month or, or second month i'm really not it's all about the end game and you know transferring into this year obviously you know you lose key individuals like that you asked the guys that were underclassmen you know the previous year to step up and we had just that and we had a we had a very young team this year unfortunately we were plagued by injuries that's never an excuse i use but it, it's a fact and uh you know that was that was hard and we had we had a strong freshman core come in and you know, you you, know, you never know who's going to come in um, at this law. I do recruit. Um, you know, I had a recruiting year this year, but um, you know, I I really didn't know who was going to come in this next year. And and uh, we had, we had a very young crew. They were very coachable. Uh, They're very hardworking. You know, I were on a pretty tight ship, and and uh, everyone was on board with with the new culture and the way that we want the program to go. So I was I was very pleased with you know thirteen eleven and five. Some people would look at that and say you know could be a subpar year but with with the team we had and the way our program is going losing nine guys uh, I was you know and the key injuries we had uh, that was a very good year yeah and you mentioned always looking for that end result and you end up losing in the semis this year in the rematch with NC State so what is your outlook after that on this upcoming uh, year for you guys you mentioned you have a lot of young talent Mm -hmm. coming back yeah, I'm I'm very excited uh going into next year. We've got our nucleus, you know, we've got some guys coming in and and there's there's definitely going to be a battle uh for for the top spots and and uh you know, we'll have, you know, three, four strong lines. Uh we'll have some depth. Um we'll we'll have uh, you know, two or three goaltenders uh which that that's what made it a little bit difficult uh from a coaching standpoint and a player standpoint. You know, we had four goalies and Two of them are freshmen, so you don't want to let them go. We wanted to develop them. Um, we had our senior goalie, uh, Trent Holmes, and uh, you know it, it was it was hard on them. You know there wasn't a number one goalie throughout the year, so there, it was inconsistent, and that's hard from a player standpoint as well because you know it's hard to get, get that confidence and play in front of. It doesn't change the way we play the game, but but there is that other element of of you know how how the players perceive that. And I'm really looking for a number one goalie next year. You know someone to step up, and and I think we'll get that. And you'll you'll see a big change from that standpoint but in terms of playing nc state you, you can't ask for a better better game better matchup uh you know I, I i really get along really well with mike gazello and and i have a lot of respect for a lot of the guys i'm you know i, I i'm in contact with sam Banishevitz. you know guys just a class act you know i just i and you know we we've got players on our team that are constantly talking to you know the nc nc state guys so the rivalry is there but you know as i tell my players leave it on the ice you know um you know we all get together in the summer and and uh you know you leave it on the ice the rivalry is fun it's supposed to be fun uh you know you want to bring the best out of the team you know i think the better team won this past year and and uh, we're hoping to change that for next year and that brings us into the rivalry conversation and talk a little bit about what it's been like for you over these past couple of years here at Wolfpack Sports Television we really kind of just see the NC State Mm -hmm. side of it but what is the rivalry like for you guys over in Chapel Hill it's pretty big um you know we obviously have a you know we've got the Duke rivalry and and but you know um the NC State value or rivalry is 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 huge. You know the guys definitely get amped up for that game. It's it's fun playing at at State. It's a total different atmosphere at our place. You know the State fans all show up and and that's fun. And you know I think that played a big part in 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 our first game we played this year and and we lost nine to one. They got off to a fast start. You know and the guys I think got a little intimidated by the crowd and and you know you you got that six guy out there. That's tough. You know. It, but it's a great learning process for the guys. And, you know, I, I live for that. And, you know, I, I just 
you know, it, it's whatever the result is, you know, it's fun and you just leave it on the ice. Yeah, and you, you bring up that it is a great venue with the Iceplex where you get a, a lot of people. So is there anything you try to do or anything you tell your uh, guys, especially the ones who haven't been there before to experience it, kind of what to expect in order to get them ready to play in that kind of environment? Because a, a lot of them don't see anything like that until they get here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there there's a lack of experience, but, you know, I – it's just like any other game you know don't i don't expect them to do anything they're not capable of doing play your game play the way you know the coaches teach you know the systems you know i always try to my big thing is creating good habits you know i mean systems are one thing but if you create good habits you know and and translate those it doesn't matter what venue you play in and and uh you know the harder you skate the slower the game slows down and and you know you throw a couple goals and that'll shut up the crowd we weren't able to do that this time but but yeah you know it's 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 a process with, with, you know, our, our team and, and the league and, you know, playing in venues like that, that's great. It's a larger sheet of ice. So, that, you know, that, that's, that's a factor. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, you got the same amount of guys out there, you know, it, no, nothing changes. There's no excuses on our team. And, you know, we, we lost, uh, you know, a big rivalry that night and it's, you know, the guys have to swallow it up, suck it up. And, uh, you know, we, we learn from that and hopefully, you know, we move forward from there. Yeah, it's it's certainly been turning into over the past couple of years a very competitive rivalry. You've seen the scores get a lot closer. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about what you see from NC State as a team because we really see it from the NC State side. But what are you looking at in particular? You bring up a guy like Sam Banishevitz who's very dangerous. Uh, what kind of problems does he pose, and how do you try and address that? Well, he's just a threat anywhere in the ice. You know, he's he's got great hockey sense, and and uh, you know, we equally we have guys like that as well. Um, but you know, I, I try not to, uh, you know, put too much emphasis on that. You know, we, you know, it's talked about, but if we play our game, play our system and trust each other and play with confidence, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't have to worry about those guys on the ice, but yeah, I, I, you know, with all due respect, you know, you know, Luis Jimenez, uh, you know, you, you've got Sam Benishevitz, you know, you've got Simon Lecter, you know, he's a, you know, shut down defenseman in the back can also score goals. So as a coach, you know, I try to worry about that, but I, I, I do not let, you know, my guys on, on the bench worry about that stuff they have enough to worry about with their own game now if if we move away from these two teams in particular you're also the ACCHL all-star coach as I understand so what does that entail with that job and what are you doing for that well yeah well it, it's uh so the, we're we're fortunate enough where we have uh you know the commissioner Mike Wally he he's the commissioner of the ACCHL and and he's also the executive director of the governing body of the ACHA 450 teams and Last year was the uh, Division Two All Star Tournament in Philadelphia, and 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 myself and and the the George G W coach brought a team up there. This year is the Division Three. Uh, they they host ten teams. One of the, one of the teams could not fill a roster. So Mike Wally, being the executive director, gave me a call and said, "Hey, let's let's field the team and, and bring some D two guys up. It would be great exposure." I'm, you know, I always take opportunities like that uh, in a heartbeat, and uh, uh, you know, I. I picked up the phone and I called AJ Hamill and I called Sam Benishevitz or my two first two calls. And, and we're, we're actually, it's a co-team with some of the, the teams up in the Northeast with Loyola college of New Jersey. So it's kind of a hybrid of ACC and the colonial league up there, but it should be fun. It should be great exposure for the ACC guys. And, and, uh, you know, when I go up there, I'm an ACC representative and I expect all the players to be that as well. And, and, uh, you know, be, it'll be a great showcase for our league. Uh, and you said you call guys like Sam as well as your own AJ Hamill, uh, 
what was the selection process like? Was there any kind of tryout, or is it just a matter of talking to coaches and selecting guys that way? Yeah, well, this one is, is it's just a different animal. Um, it's it's not like a Division Two uh, All Star. So Division Three, we're really just trying to field the roster, and you know, Mike Wally just you know gave me you know. Uh, he just said, Hey, you know, I want you to field the roster of, you know, six or seven guys. So the pool is going to be small. So I, I really chose local guys around here. Uh, Colin Langham, who I think is probably the best goalie in the league, uh, out of Elon. Uh, he only played a half year this year. Uh, I took two guys, uh, Sean Spiro, AJ Hamill. Uh, I, I asked, uh, a few players from Duke. I've got Travis Buck coming in, obviously one of the leading scorers in the ACHA. Sam, uh, we've got uh, Simon Lecter and Luis Jimenez. Uh, so we're going to have a great group. Uh, we're also pulling a kid from uh, Navy, uh, Zachary Phillip, and uh, there may be one more addition. But I, I had a piece in that, um, but Mike Wally brought in more of the northern schools, the GWs, Georgetowns. Um, so it's just it's really a small sample size of, of our league. But if it was a D2 team we would take a closer look and maybe pull one or two kids from every team make sure everyone was represented and, and uh but it's it, again it's just a great opportunity for the kids and, and i'm really excited to bring them up there yeah, and since most of them are local have they been able to get together do any kind of practicing and if so what are you doing to try to get the, them ready to play with each other because it's certainly something they're not necessarily used to yeah so uh the unc guys just got off spring break and uh, i'm assuming yours is right around yep. this time i've been on the phone with uh AJ and, and Sam, they're, they're coordinating. I, I said, I'd like to see you guys get on the ice at least once. Uh, I know Sam's been playing. Uh, he plays in some men's leagues. And, and so, you know, it'd be nice just to get together as a team. And, and I think we're going to try to get together uh, the, on the 30th and, and have one practice before we head up there. And, and uh, so the guys are somewhat loose and, and uh, not just jumping on the ice, you know, cold. So uh, how how will this tournament uh, pan out exactly when and where will it be played? So it's in Westchester, it's a suburb of Philadelphia, and it's usually held there every year, whether it's uh, Division One, Division Two, or Division. Th- Obviously, like I said, it, this is Division Three, uh, and the, we'll have to go up Thursday in the evening, and then uh, we'll have two games Friday. It's a grind. Two games Friday, two games Saturday, and depending on how we do, we we get seated on Sunday. Um, and then, so that's, that's five games. So, and we have about a 24 or 25 man roster in combination with the colonial guys. So they'll, they'll see plenty of ice and some good action and top talent from around the nation. All right. Well, we certainly want to wish you guys luck and going up there for that tournament. But before you go, it's March Madness time and North Carolina is still around. So I want to get your predictions. Where do you have them going and how is it looking? They've got Indiana coming up on Friday. If they win that game, they'll be in the Elite Eight against Notre Dame or Wisconsin. What are you thinking's going on for the Tar Heels? Yeah, well, I think I'd be remiss if I obviously didn't take uh, UNC. I'd probably lose my position <laughs> as a head coach. But, uh, you know, that's what I love. It's it's a one and done. And, you know, just like the ACC, you know, the Admirals Cup, you know, you got to show up and you got to be ready to play. And, you know, you, you can't overlook anything. And, and it, it's just fun to see these upsets. And, and that's what happens. And that's what's special about these tournaments. And that's what's special about our league and, and, uh, and our championship. And, uh, you know, the best will, will prevail. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a tough run. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, if I was a batting man, I'd, I'd pick, you know, the UNC or Kansas. But, you know, it's always fun to see an underdog. I, I wouldn't mind seeing an underdog sneak through as well. All right, Coach. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. I, I really appreciate you guys hosting me. All right. Well, I'll be back on the other side of the break. Drew Blevins will be with me and we will give you the state of Wolfpack Athletics here on the Howler.
Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Howler. You just heard from Jeff Folkman, the head coach of North Carolina Ice Hockey. And, Chris, we do get a little different perspective of what the biggest rivalry in the ACC is like. Played in Raleigh, played in Hillsboro, wherever it goes. It's hotly contested, always plenty of penalties, plenty of chippiness. But overall, Coach Foltman seems like a nice guy and certainly is going to help the greater hockey community at large. Oh, absolutely. I think he's got a great vision for the NC- or for the North Carolina team, and I think he's going to turn that into a good program. And I think we've seen over recent years NC State really – for the most part, has dominated the rivalry, won the games by wide margins, and we're starting to see that come down a little bit. And I think as Coach Volkman gets more of the kind of guys he wants in there to run his system, I think that he's going to have a pretty good team that could threaten the Wolfpack here in the Triangle area. Well, I'm certainly glad to be back in my chair here. Drew Blevins alongside Chris Lehman is now we will get into our portion of the Howler. It was an interesting interview, Chris, especially considering NC State is contributing quite a healthy bunch to go to the ACHA tournament that uh, Jeff Volkman will be heading up the team heading to Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they will look to be competitive. But stepping off the ice as it has, for the most part, melted away, NC State will have to wait till next season to try to get things going. What has given way is baseball and softball, and we're we're going to stick with the big size diamond first. NC State, a disappointing start to the ACC schedule. They drop two to Boston College. Granted, hotly contested games except for the 7-0 blowout loss. Very close, very defensive battles. And then they come in and play a series against Notre Dame this past weekend. Notre Dame takes one in extra innings, but NC State overall looking a lot better as they do take the series 2-1. to one capping it all off with a 16-6 to Sunday win. That one finished in eight innings due to NCAA travel arrangements. But Chris, once again, it seems like NC State is having trouble with their pitching. Their starters haven't been able to go the distance all the time. They're having to build incredibly long and involved bridges to get to the ninth inning, and that's not doing anything to help the Wolfpack. No, and you and I have talked about this, and one of the things that you said was that NC State or whether baseball and softball in general, rely on the pitcher to fuel the rest of the team at times. And we saw that when Carlos Rodon was here. I think he's part of the reason that NC State offensively was successful as well because they had the confidence with someone like that backing them up defensively to take some risks offensively, and it paid off for them. And I think one thing that you're looking at as well is you're looking at some strong pitching. You talk about that Boston College series. They have a pretty darn good bullpen, and it showed. I mean, they shut NC State out twice, and certainly that's not because NC State is bad offensively. They've got some really good and really big bats in that lineup. The thing is that they're getting fooled by good pitching, and that's the thing that's concerning. When they come up against good pitching, that's when they're having their problems. And like you said, they're pitching counter to that isn't quite as good. They're having to use a lot of pitchers. Their starters aren't doing a good job of starting off games in many cases, and that's been a big problem. That's what concerns me about this ACC schedule. We talked about basketball being very, very good in the ACC. I mean, heck, there are six teams in the Sweet 16 for the ACC this year in the NCAA tournament. Baseball is just about as good. So you're going to see a lot of really good pitchers coming down the stretch here, and the question is, can NC State deal with that right now that's a big concern to me well and you talk about the scheduling and nc state's about to hit the road they're going to go play an acc series at florida state they're also going to have to take on some major league opponents heading down the stretch away from doak field clemson 
Louisville, Virginia, all away from home. And those are difficult series to win, especially when you consider that you're not going to be able to play those games on the road. The tricky series is going to be against Georgia Tech. Statistically, NC State is better, but whenever you have to play in Atlanta for NC State athletics in general, it it hasn't always been the nicest place to play. What is it going to take for the Wolfpack to be able to be competitive on the road and try to come out with a better than 500 record when they're on the bus? Oh, it's something that you've talked about, consistency. It's not there right now. You take a look. The perfect example when you look at it is that Boston College series. They get shut out twice and put up big, pretty big numbers, pretty good numbers, in the other game against Boston College. It's just it's not there. I don't know why there's not consistency. Part of it, a little bit of youthfulness. But this is a team that's got to find it. And when it comes to baseball, you play a lot of games. You're playing four, five games a week. Sometimes in cases in a heavy week, you might play six. So... There's plenty of time to find a rhythm, to get used to this, and it's still not quite progressing the way I thought it would. NC State continues to drop in the rankings, and even though you don't really want to look at that as a team, you know everyone does, and that's going to be something that hurts your psyche a little bit. And So for me, it's just a matter of getting that, that confidence and that consistency back, and I don't think we've really seen that since they made that run in the postseason last year. It's a team that's 3-3 three and three in conference so far this season. Still a lot of baseball to be played, both at home and on the road. But with the results bearing out as they have so far, and if the trend continues, hovering around 500 in the ACC, Elliot Avon is in the final portions of his contract, and he has not been able to bring an ACC title to this Wolfpack team, and he's had plenty of opportunities to do it. It's almost an unfair question to ask because success-wise, he has been good, but is there a little heat on his seat right now, or is the manager locked in and going to be coming back regardless of whatever result it may be? Uh... That's a tough question because I think whenever you look at things from a fan's perspective, and a lot of times that's a perspective that we get in the public, they're going to be more extreme. And I think a lot of people are not happy, especially NC State fans who are particularly interested in how good this baseball team is because, like we said, they have not found that ACC championship, which is very troublesome considering you have guys like Carlos Rodon and Trey Turner come through. If you have guys like that, you've got to be able to do it. And uh, the best example of NC State blowing those chances is an 18-inning game against North Carolina where Carlos Rodon goes 10 innings and gives up one, one unearned hit. run. Exactly, and, and one hit. And they still don't win. So they've got to be able to win those games that they're especially when their pitching is good because even when they had consistently good pitching they weren't able to do that so when your pitching is inconsistent your bats are going to have to be consistent so that's the big thing for me while the starting pitching is concerning and you want to see the starters going six or seven innings on a regular basis I think more you should be more concerned about those bats right now I will say this about Elliot Avon. His success speaks for itself because he has had a couple of ragtag teams that he's been able to pull together, and he's been able to have success with teams that should have been successful. The most recent disappointment, roster-wise for a full season, of course, is the Rodon year where they lose to Carolina in the play-in game of the ACC tournament. And, of course, NC State, as difficult and painful as it is to remember, loses to Texas Christian and at Texas uh, in their regional games last year, I think there is a little bit of uncomfortability right now for Elliot Avent. And I don't say that to say if he doesn't bring home an ACC championship, he's fired. I think that is to say 
you have a reasonable expectation for success this year. A team that should be winning 60 to 70% of their ball games in the ACC, realistically, and that is with good competition. But if that sort of success isn't going to come for the second time in five or six years where you've got a good ball club, you do start to look up the ladder. And is that Elliot Avon? Is that Scott Foxhall now that you have seen Ray Tanner go and win championships at South Carolina from his tenure here. NC State has been very loyal to their baseball coaches. Sam Esposito was good. Elliot Avent has been here for a very long tenure. But it does make you wonder, what is it going to take to win a championship? Because NC State baseball fans want to see it, do they not? Absolutely. I mean, NC State fans are thirsting really for championships anytime because a lot of times in big sports, and baseball is the big spring sport, NC State doesn't see that success and of all the big sports that NC State has this is the one that year in and year out is expected to be pretty darn good and so I think like you said there are some teams that Elliot Avon has had I think last year's team is one of them that played a little bit over their heads and were better than people expected them to be but there are I think more teams that Elliot Avon has had that have been stacked with talent that should have been a lot better than they were and didn't get it done and so Like you said, that's what it comes down to is with the staff that he has, is he doing what he's supposed to? And I think, unfortunately, more often than not, he hasn't quite been able to do that. I like what Wes Durham said about NC State baseball. Five times the bridesmaid, never the bride. At some point, you've got to have a realistic expectation, and odds are going to have to bear themselves out that you're going to win a trophy. And when you're getting your team there, at some point, something's got to give, and you've got to be willing to take the next step. That being said, again, Elliot Avent's not going to get fired at the end of this year. He's just not. This is a good baseball team. This is a good baseball program that has been built, for the most part, by his bare hands. He is a very good baseball coach. But like you said, Chris, you do want to see a national championship come to NC State. An ACC championship, first and foremost, is the most realistic expectation. So, to wrap up our discussion of baseball... When you look at the schedule, when you look at the production about halfway through this season, where do you see this team going? It's really hard to tell because, like we said, they've mostly been non-conference and really mostly at home. They haven't played a lot of games on the road, and the ones that they have, aside from going down to Myrtle Beach, which really wasn't too much of a road environment either, they haven't played away from home so that is going to be tough for them and so I think that makes this series coming up this weekend against Florida State on the road very important to the pack because this is their first to me their first true road test and how they do is going to be very important and I think that will be indicative of how the rest of the season goes because I think there's a lot left to be seen from this team because they haven't necessarily seen the strong competition that they'll see in conference play. The good news for NC State is the raw talent is there and now it's just a matter of tightening the screws. You don't have to make big adjustments with this team. You only have to make little ones. And sometimes those are more difficult to make dealing with every individual player, but I think the coaching staff is in place to be able to do that, and I think if they are, NC State will be just fine both at home and on the road. So we're going to step off the big diamond and head to the baby dirt diamond now, which is going to be Dale Softball Stadium, which has hosted some very interesting ball games so far this semester. The NC State team has been floundering as of recently. They fall back to 15-15 and at 500 even after a loss to East Carolina on Tuesday night. 
More importantly, however, looking beyond that game, State has now been the losers in three straight, including giving up the first win of the season to the Bryant Bulldogs, who now are 1-20. And it's been disappointing when you look at what's going on with the softball team. Another highly touted squad, some young talent, but also a pair of seniors and a few juniors who are supposed to be making a big impact. And as they head into ACC play, 500 was not the record we were expecting. What is Sean Reitrick trying to fix with the softball team? Well, I think it's pitching. A lot of it is pitching, and that comes when you lose a once-in-a-generation kind of pitcher that you have in Emily Wyman, who I think in her in her junior year pitched pretty much every single game. Courtney Mirabella, who's now considered the starter for NC State, uh, came in and pitched a couple of games and gave her some rest, but for the most part, it was all Wyman all the time, and it's very much different this year. Courtney Mirabella is not used to playing quite as many games and and having to pitch every single day just about, and I think that has really caused her to struggle. When NC State goes up against really tough competition, they have to play teams like Michigan, who's in the top five. Uh, So you're looking at some really tough teams. I think that hurt her confidence and your other pitchers, and Brittany Nimmo and Harley Hubbard, who really are kind of just getting into their uh, softball experience at a Division One level. So the pitching, I think, is the big thing that needs to be fixed because, like you said, it's one of the things that really drives this team is the pitching. We saw that with Emily Wyman, and I think that's where it has to start because there are a lot of good bats in this lineup. Tyler Ross is incredible. Molly Hutchison is another good one. Hannah Yeager is an experienced bat in that lineup as well. There's the talent there and the ability to score runs, but NC State is not getting not getting it done. I think it starts defensively, and so I think that's where you have to build from. You're right. There are problems in the pitching circle. A lot of that comes with Brittany Nimmo, who has been sidelined with whatever injury she might have. Once you get her back, you are going to have at least a pitching staff that is expected to be competitive. I think the biggest issue is consistency in the circle right now. Courtney Mirabella is capable. She's capable of being the ace, but she's got to prove that now. She's got to be able to get into the circle with confidence and hit her spots and hit her spots early. She's proved she's been able to do that. The big problem is not being able to do that every time she steps in. Well, she's not getting called for illegal pitches. She's got a very conventional windup. She's not trying to disguise the ball any at all. That's what Brittany Nimmo does, and I've made this comment on live broadcast plenty of times. Watch Brittany Nimmo go into her windup. Watch how she'll gyrate her hips, and it's this whole choreographed routine every time disguising the ball, and then watch Courtney Mirabella who's going to step back, step forward, and go. There's not a whole lot of disguise there. Mirabella's got to work on her fastball and get a little bit faster. She's got to work on her curveball because I think where she's getting beat right now is her breaking pitches aren't breaking enough. And that is an issue. Because if you are hitting a spot and your breaking pitch isn't breaking, you're going to get taken yard. If you're throwing it high and it is breaking... It's breaking too much. It's missing left. It's missing right. It's missing low. And when you've got disciplined hitters like you saw against East Carolina where five batters in their lineup had drawn walks in the double-digit numbers, you can't afford to miss your spots. Also, offensively, NC State statistically should be able to do well. They've got Tyler Ross. They've got Meredith Burroughs. They've got Maggie Hawkins. They've got Hannah Summer. They've got a nice core of power hitters. But the problem is the power has been coming against teams that don't have the best pitching. East Carolina brought in Lydia Ritchie on Tuesday, who had a 1.8 ERA. 
and Richie handled the Wolfpack with ease, giving up one run through six innings. That's an impeccable statistic. When they put Mary Williams in, in a closing situation, they knocked her around a little bit, a freshman who doesn't have a lot of experience. And then they re-enter Richie into the ballgame legally, and she comes in and takes care of business. For NC State, they're going to be facing some tough pitchers in the ACC because they're going to have the series with Louisville coming up here on the weekend. And then you've got to look at teams like Notre Dame and Florida State who were picked ahead of the Wolfpack in the preseason poll. What is it going to take for the Wolfpack offense to start to get the bats rolling once again and not necessarily get back to hitting home runs every time, but putting the ball in the field of play and running the bases 60 feet at a time? Oh, that's the big thing is getting the ball in play. And uh, One of the comments that I heard over the weekend is this softball team, a lot of times it's go yard or go home. And, and that's kind of what they've got. You you look at a lot of the, the people they have in the lineup: Molly Hutchison, Tyler Ross. Those are all those are big power hitters, and there are plenty of other ones as well down that lineup. So, for NC State, the the batting strategy I think uh, is the tough part to deal with because you don't have a lot of girls who run who have run things out on, on ground balls or on sh- uh, shallow fly balls into the outfield. It's just that's not the way that this team works this year. And so it's going to be tough to try and figure that out. To me, this is going to be kind of a fight-it-out season for NC State to get the best record that they can and to fight as far into the postseason as they possibly can and be ready for next year because a lot of these girls will be back. The other question, Mark, comes when you're actually out on the diamond in the dirt. NC State defensively committing quite a few amount of errors, which is disappointing to see for what's been a fairly solid infield since at least we started broadcasting softball games. They're having troubles fielding ground balls. They're not catching the line drives. There's been miscommunication between thrower and first base. That can't happen as you try to tighten the screws going into ACC play. East Carolina, Charlotte, IUPUI, all of those teams have at least a couple of batters in their lineup who can lay down a slap hit or a bunt that spins out in the dirt, and they will beat you out to first almost every time. NC State does not run crazy defensive shifts. Sean Reichick is very big on holding your spots, and unless it is an absolute guarantee that somebody's going to be a pull hitter specifically, you're leaving everybody in no doubles defense, which is traditional. Unfortunately, that means you're giving up a large portion of the infield, and when you've got fast base runners that are going to be coming up to the plate, you've only got bases 60 feet apart, they're going to beat that throw. For NC State, what are the adjustments they need to make to, first of all, prevent errors and feel the ball cleanly, and second of all, get a little bit faster turns, especially when you're going to second and first? It's just a matter of practice and making sure that you're ready to do and you know what you're supposed to do in each situation and I think that will come. That again is one of the big problems because you mentioned all the errors and we talked about confidence being a problem for some of these pitchers. That's part of it. Even though you look at the stat sheet and those errors cause these runs to be unearned and we're like okay well technically this isn't the pitcher's fault. He's he, She is not the reason that these runs are coming across. When you're in the game All that the pitcher is seeing is batters come to the plate, reach base, and then come home. Even if they do know, well, that was an error, that's not my fault, they're still seeing these runs cross. So that's a big issue, and it really comes down to just knowing what you're supposed to do and making sure that you do it. And like you said, part of that is charging some of these slow-rolling ground balls and getting the outs that some of these base runners are beating out. And 
I think that's really the big issue, like you said, is is charging the softball and these slow grounders. I think if they do that, that will start to work some of these things out. And I think it's only fair to end the softball segment by asking you the same question I did with baseball. This is a 500 team. It's essentially starting anew as you work your way into conference play. Where does the softball team go? I think this is about where they will be for most of the season. You want to, as Coach Rychek told us last week, focus on winning series, not just specific games. So that's something that I think will help them if they can not just stay trained on some of these games where they've had trouble. If they can move on, I think that'll help. But I think, like I said, this is a fighting season for the Wolfpack, and if they can stay at 500 or a little bit above, I think it'll be a good season for them. Well, Chris, I want to take this conversation from the out-of-doors to the indoors, specifically to a gym in New York City where there are eight wrestling mats laid out and all eyes are focused on one, the heavy matchup perhaps of the century so far between Nick Gwizdowski of NC State and Jack Schneider. Lived up to its billing, but at the end of the day, Nick Gwizdowski has his 88-match win streak snapped Jack Schneider from Ohio State is declared the national champion. And while Gwizdowski's legacy will not be tarnished because he loses his final match, there will always be a question of what would have been had he been a back-to-back-to-back national champion. I want you to walk me through that match, and I want you to walk me through how Gwizdowski has made every opponent look like a ragdoll up to this point. He comes up to Jack Schneider, who is a U.S. Olympic trial qualifier, just like his opponent, Mr. Gwizdowski, is. But Nick has 30 pounds on the guy almost and still finds a way to let this one slip away despite having a lead with under a minute to go in the third period. Well, uh, this is something you talked about earlier when you and I talked on Pulse of the Pack on WKNC. He stayed upright for a lot of that, and that's one of the things you don't want to do in a wrestling match because the object of wrestling is to get your opponent on the mat. The harder way to do that is to stay low and keep your center of gravity low. It makes it a lot harder. And when he didn't do that, I think that was part of his problem. And I think that comes from, we talked about this too, the highlights of the Iowa match. He absolutely manhandled his man in that match. And I think he did that a lot of this season. And so when you get to the NCAAs where you have to be a little more technically sound and and more aware of your situation... I think he was dulled a little bit on that because he had more of an easy run, and I think that's part of the reason that he had some trouble. To me, it's just heartbreaking. To be honest, I didn't know much about him until after he won his first national championship, so I started really to follow him last year more, and it was great. It's a great story to hear him coming with Pat Papalizio to NC State to make this a good wrestling program. He's really helped to do that, and it's really sad, and my heart breaks for him for him to have to leave NC State on a loss. This was called the Ali Frazier of the collegiate wrestling world, arguably the highest compliment that you could give any wrestling match in particular. But just as Joe Frazier made the grave mistake in that match of not guarding his head with two gloves up, where Muhammad Ali ends up knocking him out, and of course birthed the down-goes-Frazier call. So in this match, there was also a critical moment. And I want to harken back to the third period where you've got Jack Schneider starting on bottom after a reset. Nick Wisdowski is in position. Schneider is allowed to earn an escape point. Gwizdowski doesn't try to hold him. 
He makes him work his way out, get foot upright, and then eventually step out of the hold. But Gwizdowski still lets off. And in normal wrestling strategy, when you're up three, especially if you've got a guy like Nick Gwizdowski in your corner, you're going to be okay with giving up an escape point. But in a national championship match against the second-ranked wrestler in the NCAA, who comes from a program much more used to having success on the mats than NC State has been, being Ohio State, you give up a point. And eventually, Jack Schneider earns a takedown by Gwizdowski being far too far upright in his final positions in the last 30 seconds. The takedown is earned. Gwizdowski rolls Schneider out and tries to earn an escape at the end. Is about six inches from earning an escape point in the last three seconds. Does not and loses the matches in sudden victory. However, why in your mind does Nick Gwizdowski give up that one escape point that ends up putting Jack Schneider within a takedown of tying the match, and of course he gets that with 11 seconds to go. Well, I, I think you explained it there a little bit at the beginning. In a normal situation, that's what you do. And at least what what I believe is doesn't matter what the situation, you do the same thing you would do all the time. And I can't tell you that I know more about wrestling than Nick Gwizdowski or Pat Papalizio, who I'm assuming are the two that make the decision on what kind of thing he's going to do in that situation. So I can't get inside their heads and tell you exactly what they were thinking, but I don't think that was the big issue. The big issue, of course, is the takedown, and that's a matter of Gwizdowski not staying low enough in that instance. And I think you know, letting him get that escape not too big of a deal. And like you said, he had that opportunity to get the escape at the very end and just couldn't quite get there. And that, I'm sure, is part of the plan as well, is he was thinking, you know, if I give up this takedown after allowing the escape and he ties it, I still have that option. And he almost got it. It just was a matter of Jack Snyder being a little bit stronger and being able to hold him in. So I don't think it was necessarily that decision that killed it, although it does... L- set into effect a sequence of events that ends up giving Gwizdowski his his runner-up position in the national championship. But uh, I, I don't think that that is necessarily the decision uh, or a decision that should, should be too criticized uh, of Nick Gwizdowski. The other thing in that match is Gwizdowski was not as aggressive as we have seen him be. And of course, in wrestling, you do have to really wrangle in your aggression, especially when playing against an opponent like Jack Schneider, who is going to be able to come in and take advantage of any mistake you might make by being over-aggressive. But Schneider is able to ride Nick Gwizdowski for 58 seconds to nullify the ride time extra point that would have given Gwizdowski the national championship as well. Schneider, to his credit, wrestled almost the perfect match, and he was taken down twice allows an escape to Gwizdowski. But at the end of the day, I think you do see Snyder do everything he has to do to beat Gwizdowski. And a deserving national champion, I would say. It is heartbreaking, though, to see Gwizdowski lose. But to end on a high note when talking about, I think in all fairness, the greatest wrestler to have ever come through NC State, still a four-time All-American, only 13 losses in his entire career. Can you sum up what Nick Gwizdowski has meant? 
Oh, well, I hearken back to something I said earlier, and he really helped to build this NC State program. And you mentioned this earlier as well on Pulse of the Pack. It's a recruiting tool now. You can come here where we have a reputation, and that's what he's done for NC State. He's given them a reputation, and I don't think you can really say enough about what that means to the NC State wrestling program because he will have an impact on NC State wrestling for years to come. Nick Wisdowski certainly will be in the NC State Athletics Hall of Fame at some point when he becomes eligible. And at least from my perspective, I hope to get to continue to follow his career as he could be perhaps an Olympian if he performs well at the trials, which would be more than exciting to see as he tries to journey to Rio de Janeiro to represent the United States of America. NC State as a team finishes 11th in the NCAA tournament. That is 11 among, I believe it's 30, 25 to 30 teams. So in the upper half, they are second in the ACC among qualifying teams as Virginia Tech outwits them once again and finishes 8th for a top 10 finish for the Hokies. That is exciting, Chris. And now we have a couple of crossroads that we can go to. We can talk a little bit about a sad subject or we can talk about a happy subject. And Chris, I'll let you determine. Yes, we've, we've been pretty sad lately. I'm going to go happy. We're going to go with a happy subject. Okay, well, let's head out to somewhere where NC State has enjoyed some recent success. After a 3-9 and nine record my freshman year, Dave Doran has turned a football program from a laughingstock of the ACC to a very competitive football program. And NC State just recently hosted their pro day where guys like Mike Rose and Jacoby Brissett worked out. But one of the more notable names is a former Wolfpacker who did not suit up in the red and white this year. But that would be TJ Graham, who also showed good speed with a 4-3-40, perhaps trying to work his way back into the NFL after short stints with the New Orleans Saints and the New York Giants. Excuse me, the Buffalo Bills. Wrong red, white, and blue team. You'll have to excuse me. But nonetheless, this is an impressive day for Dave Doran, and he's getting some recruiting tools. Debbie Yao is giving him the opportunity to be successful with a couple of new staff hires as well. And this football team had a very good pro day. Yeah, they did. Mike Rose uh, turned some heads, and he was one who people had been talking a little bit about earlier. thought maybe he should have gone to the combine, and I think on Monday he proved why he should have. He had a, a great combine, and I, I think there are a lot of teams he was able to sit down with. I believe it was eight teams he sat down with and talked to one-on-one. So there are a lot of teams that are showing him interest and at the linebacker position, not necessarily as a defensive end. So I think he is specifically out of this class that has the potential to get drafted the one to really look at Jacoby Brissett of course is a quarterback and the leader of this team you want to watch as well and he had a pretty good pro day from the comments that TJ Graham made about the way he was throwing the ball and the timing he was very pleased and I'm sure that was seen as well by the NFL scouts so I think you should watch him as well. But like you said, this was a pretty good pro day for NC State, and, and hopefully they get a couple of draft pick at, picks out of it because while those players have moved on, being draft picks, they give you a better reputation and will be a recruiting tool for Dave Doran and this NC State staff as the team continues to get better. Well, you're not looking to see any Wolfpackers get on the podium with Roger oh, Goodell no, on day one. Not. Uh, Jacoby Brissett's stock is sitting somewhere around the fourth round right now is what I've been hearing, which is still good, and he still can be productive and help a ball club, whoever decides to take a chance and draft Jacoby Brissett. The other interesting participant in the pro day is the much maligned Shadrach Thornton, who comes out and is not the same football player that he was when he last took the field against South Alabama. No, and I don't think that's necessarily a surprise. It's been months since he's been in this NC State 
uh, rotation. So I'm sure he's been working out and trying to keep himself in shape, but you can't do the same things that you can do with a Division One football team. So you can see that, I think, and I think that's hurt him. And we'll see how it turns out. I certainly wish him the best. I think he's had a, a couple of unfortunate happenings for him, some by his own doing and some just out of sheer bad luck. And I, I hope he's able to work through it, but... It's going to be a tough road, and we'll have to see how it turns out for him, but it was not necessarily the best pro day. Well, believe it or not, Shadrach Thornton did end up being missed as NC State headed down in the home stretch of the season when Matt Days went out with his injury. The good news for the Wolfpack is that Days will be back and continues to strengthen every day back to undoubtedly the number one running back on this NC State team. And it is going to be a dangerous running game with Johnny Frazier coming into the roster and Naheem Hines on the outside and Reggie Gillespie coming into his sophomore season. Certainly a lot of things to look for on the gridiron. The last thing I do want to talk about, though, is coming back to Raleigh to work out as T.J. Graham. And he's an interesting case. He played four games with the Saints, and he played a few games with the Bills, and then sort of dissipates into recent past memory. And he comes into Raleigh and runs a 4-3-40, and Jacoby Brissett, who has one of the stronger arms in the conference and one of the stronger arms this side of the Mississippi, cannot physically outthrow him. How impressive was he this pro day? That is great to see. And as a wide receiver, that's one of, to me, one of the toughest positions to really break into and be reliable and consistent on a, a roster in the NFL because when it comes to being a wide receiver, you depend more on anybody else to do your job than any other sport or than any other position. With a running back, all you're waiting for is a handoff. The quarterback gets the ball right off the snap out of the center's hands. Defensively, you have to react and you have control really defensively. But as a wide receiver, you know, hope you get thrown to. You had to hope whatever coverage that the defense is running is advantageous to the route that's been called for you, all those kinds of things. And so it's, I think, in my opinion at least, a lot tougher being a wide receiver in the NFL for that reason. And to come back and show that while he hasn't been working out with NFL teams on a day-to-day basis, he still has the potential to be a very good receiver, or at least one that can be used season-to-season by a team in the NFL. Graham did not end his NC State career that long ago as he is still one of the best memories recently for NC State football. Another person who has become one of the best recent memories, and nothing more, is Cat Barber, who officially declared himself eligible for the 2016 NBA draft on Tuesday. Barber will exit one year early from NC State as one of the better guards in Wolfpack history, especially in the last 16 years, Barber will be missed, averaging well over 20 points a game with over four assists per game as well. He's been one of those guys that hasn't been part of the team this year, but has been the team this year. And he will be sorely missed for certain, but he's leaving a gap that Dennis Smith, the freshman, will look to fill. Chris, what are your impressions of Cat Barber leaving early and how well does the notorious Dennis Smith fill in his shoes? Well, I'm not at all surprised to see him leave. I think he made the right decision. There's really not much else that he can show NBA scouts in college basketball. He was the top scorer in the ACC this year, 23.5 points a game, 4.6 rebounds a game as a guard is good, and also he's shown he can pass the ball and find the open man with 4.5 assists per game. There's nothing else he can really show anybody. He's going to be running pretty much the same offense next year with the Wolfpack if he decided to come back. 
back. So I think there really was more to gain by going to the NBA and more to lose by coming back. So absolutely the right decision. In terms of Dennis Smith, it's very tough to tell. You look at just about anybody with the exception of a, a couple of people. Of course, you talk about LeBron James who goes straight to the NBA and flourishes right out of high school, but you don't get those kinds of players all the time. And it's not as difficult to go from high school to college as it is to go from college to the pros, but it's still a transition, and we'll have to see how he transitions. That's the big thing. Can he come in and stay calm and composed while he's making that transition and getting used to the different kind of play that he sees in the ACC and just in college basketball in general? And I think certainly you look at the scouting reports, the highlight film, just the stats, everything that he's done, he can do it. We'll just have to wait and see what he is able to do when he gets here. Mark Godfrey will also have a refreshed arsenal of weapons as Terry Henderson is expected to come back healthy and as back to normal as is possible after suffering a season-ending injury in the season opener against William and Mary. Torin Dorn also makes his way onto the roster after sitting out his mandatory year transferring from Charlotte of Conference USA. And, of course, Dennis Smith, the freshman phenom, will be coming in as well. Do you see Mark Gottfried really changing the whole outlook of the starting lineup, or are we going to see some familiar faces still play major roles? Uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see exactly what he decides to do with this team. I think this team looks more like the team that we saw my freshman year uh, three, four years ago now that was ranked in the top 10 to start this season. There's a lot of talent, a lot of potential, a lot of different offensive threats that you can go to, but it depends on what kind of offense that he decides to run with them because there are some good guard threats, a potential of three or four guards who could start for this team, and so you could run a three-guard system, but you also have some good big guys. B.J. Anya will be very experienced next year, as will Malika Boo, Abdul Malika Boo and Leonard Freeman. So there are a lot of different options that Coach Godfrey can consider going through uh, this offseason and getting ready for next season, and we'll have to wait and see what he decides to do. But honestly, I don't expect it to change too much. He likes to really run the offense, usually through one or two guards who facilitate and score most of the points for your team. So I expect that to be the same. Dennis Smith will certainly step into Cat Barber's role. I would be a little bit surprised if he's not the guy to do that. Um, so I don't necessarily expect to see a huge difference in this team next year, but there are a lot of different options for Coach Godfrey. There are, and that is the good thing, is that Mark Godfrey does have, as I said, a refreshed arsenal of weapons. My question to you, though, Chris, is you now are in an ACC that is seeing six teams go to the Sweet 16. You will be a young team. You will be feeling your way back into the competition after what by all accounts is an off year. How does NC State fare as they head into the most difficult conference in collegiate basketball, especially when you will have a Duke team, a North Carolina team, and a Syracuse team standing in your way? Yep, and this is not necessarily characteristic in terms of the ACC. There are players, especially with Duke, who will be coming back. You won't lose three Duke players that won a national championship, so this will be another good Duke team. Uh, it's, it's going to be a tough road as always when you're in the ACC so there are a lot of, of challenges ahead but this 
base basketball season isn't even over yet. There's still 16 teams playing Division One basketball, trying to win a national championship. So there is a long way to go. There, like we said, there's potential with this team. And you look at Kentucky. Kentucky has had a lot of success with a lot of young players in their lineup. So you can do it. It's just going to be a matter of getting this team together, figuring out how to play well and play well consistently and quickly. And if they're able to do that, they have a lot of potential to be one of the best teams in the ACC. And Chris, that will lead us into our final discussion of current events, potpourri, and pick'em. Current events, speaking-wise, our brackets got absolutely busted over the weekend. A, a quarter of my bat bracket is a busted. Qu- you picked the wrong national champion. Oh, it's uh, done. Along with along with a fifth of the United you States. You picked I'll the put, wrong put, national champion. Well, well, let's 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 bring this up too. You picked the same national champion. I didn't say mine wasn't busted. Mine is nothing more but than an I'm extra piece saying, of kindling right I, now. I made a lot of good picks. It's just the the most important pick was the wrong was very much the wrong one. It's all about picking the national champion. If you pick every other game wrong and get the champion right, you've well, done well. But my, my understanding is this is a point system, right? So well, you don't have now, to pick nobody's the national acu- champion. Nobody's accusing the worldwide to, leader in sports of having a great scoring well, system. You don't have you don't have to you don't have to get the national champion. That's the beauty of it. Uh, no, but it's it's definitely nice to say, oh, I picked the national champion. I did last year. Well, that's good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, there are 16 teams left playing. I want you to give me the surprise team that's making it to the Elite Eight. Are they making it to the Final Four? And who's your new national champion? Well, I think after watching this past weekend, the easiest thing to look at is trying to find a national champion. And when you look at, in the past at the way that these tournaments work out, you see those upsets happening in the early rounds, and that's why everyone loves March Madness, because you get those kinds of games where you have them tight all the way through. So I think we've seen, while well, we're going to see tight games again, I think we've seen for the most part a lot of the upsets. I would say Chakwa will out for the most part. My new national champion would be Kansas. I think consistency has been great for them, not just through the tournament, but all year. And I think they're poised to make a run. In terms of surprise teams, I think you have to look at some of the mid-majors that made it through that are highly seeded. And the most notable one there, Villanova. Watch out for them. To me, this is the year that a mid-major team could make a big run in the tournament and make a big name for themselves as a high seed. More of the time, we're seeing these mid-majors explode onto the scene as lower seeds. I think Villanova could be a little bit of a surprise, someone that a lot of people think is overrated, and for that reason, I think they're a little bit underrated and have the potential to, to pull some upsets. I, I do agree with you. I think Kansas is my front runner to be a new national champion, which is interesting because you're getting into those blue blood schools who always seem to be competitive in March and heading into early April. Bill Self's got a good thing going with Wayne Selden and Perry Ellis down low. That's a very difficult basketball team to beat. My surprise is going to be Gonzaga. I really like the Bulldogs. I like what Mark Few has going, and I think they've got a favorable matchup considering they're playing another double-digit seed in Syracuse. And I think you're looking at the Bulldogs reaching the Elite Eight once again. Are they going to make the Final Four? Yeah, probably not, because that would mean they're probably going up against Virginia, and that's going to be a tough team to beat, especially now that Sparty is out of the way with their first-round early exit. That still hurts a little bit to bring up. But nonetheless, I do like Gonzaga to be an upset. Don't sleep on Duke either. I picked Duke to be an early-round upset, 
And I like their matchup against Oregon, and I think their multiple weapons could pose a little bit of a problem for the Ducks, especially when you look, Brandon Ingram is playing well, Grayson Allen is playing well, and you've got a big-time senior, big-time in every sense of the word, with every inch of his seven-foot frame down low, that while he may not be the most skilled player, doesn't want to stop playing basketball yet, and I think he's hungry for another national championship. So it'll be interesting to see what Duke does. It's interesting. We do have a couple more minutes here, Chris, and we could play a little bit of pick'em here because there is a softball series coming up against Louisville. There's a baseball series coming up against Florida State, but I don't want to get too into that. Tell me, in the softball series, how many games does NC State win and in the baseball series? How many do they take? Well, I think this is going to be a tough weekend for NC State on the diamond. Louisville, not ranked, but receiving votes 19-6. and six, Very good softball team, and part of that reason is good pitching. NC State it's almost the exact opposite right now. I'm going to pick them as a sweep. I'm not sure that they're able to get anything against the Cardinals. Now, in terms of baseball, tough series against Florida State on the road. I think they can steal one, but they're not going to win the series. That's interesting because I agree with you on baseball. Florida State's a very tough opponent. They did graduate quite a few players, but once again, they got a good thing going down there in Tallahassee. I think NC State takes one off the Seminoles. I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I think softball gets something going, and I think they also take one off the Cardinals, but I agree with you overall. It's going to be a sub-500 weekend for NC State between those six games. Finally, our current event portion, we have about a few seconds left, but the Tampa Bay Rays went down to Havana, Cuba, and played a diplomatic baseball game against the Cuban national team as we are getting very, very close to opening day. That is a monumental breakthrough for Major League Baseball. It's a diplomatic move by President Barack Obama to play a Cuban national team that is a communist country. What do you make of the event, and what are your thoughts on it? Oh, I'm, I'm glad to see that we're trying to make connections with Cuba. I think that is huge, and especially for baseball, because it's tough. A lot of those stories about Cuban exiles have have started to come out, especially with Yasiel Puig. So I I think it's great to see that we're giving these players, and that's the big thing, is giving these players in Cuba the opportunity to go as far as they possibly can. So that's what I like the most about it. Diplomatically, as far as President Obama goes, I think it's, it's... a calculated move. You you want to try to to create a bridge and, and try to mend some some broken relationships, but you also have to be careful. And I think he did a good job. Calculated for sure. It has opened up some old wounds that are still fifty years old. And when you have the communist regime that took over in Cuba, it will never be an easy thing to go back. The Bay of Pigs invasion, and and this is getting into more of a U.S. history lesson than sports talk. But it is a monumental game that has been played. The Tampa Bay Rays and the Cuban national team, and it'll be interesting to. See see what international relations continue between these two countries. As it stands for right now for Major League Baseball, it's the first time in over 50 years they have gone back into Havana and played a game down there, and I'm sure the Cuban peoples are very grateful that Major League Baseball took the step to head back down south of the border to play a game there. That is going to just about do it for us, Chris, but before we sign off, speaking of baseball season right around the corner, who's your way too early World Series winner prediction? Well, this is, is partially biased because I have a lot of family in western Pennsylvania, but the no, Buccos, no, Pittsburgh has been no, looking go very home, good Chris. and trending upward. Watch out for those Pirates. Okay, trending upward, fine. I agree with that. I'm so tired of watching the National League win so many pennants. The AL takes it this year with Kansas City. I'm going to go with good old Rely the pinstripe pride still runs deep I think the New York Yankees are building a program it might not be this year but I think if they get a good schedule going the Yankees might be able 
to win the World Series. The quest for 28 begins in a little less than two weeks. Chris, that's going to do it for us here on The Howler. For everybody at home, thanks for listening. Signing off for Chris Lehman. I'm Drew Blevins. You've just been given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. We hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Wolfpack Sports Television. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports.